guys welcome back to floral couch conversations i'm emily and i'm melissa and it's book club it's book club treats excited (laughs) treats excited i'm actually (laughs) loved the book so i'm excited to talk about it me too it was like actually read it way faster than i expected i i was like entranced and got through it so quick yeah so, um, what was the name of the book we read? Oh, well, let's tell everyone. <laughs> um, the book is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And Taylor Jenkins Reid also wrote Daisy Jones and the Six, right? Yes. And which you have read. Yes. And also and loved. I, yeah. And I have not read that, but it's on my uh, list. I'm finding I really like her writing style because she kind of does, like, short chapters, but, like, they keep you intrigued. Um, I'm, I'm like, a big fan, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she does a good job at, like, hinting, like, little foreshadowing hints, but, all, but not, like, giving away what's going to happen. Like, I feel like some books... You're like, oh, okay, I know exactly what's going to happen. And it's still, like, good. Like, you still read it, and you're like, yeah, that was a good book. But you kind of felt like you knew what was going to happen the whole time. Mm -hmm. And this book, I, like, hadn't – like, I knew there was something, like, all these little clues were leading up to something, but I still had no idea what it was until, like, closer to the end. Same. And I like how she kind of intertwines the – it's like a story within a story. So the background is Monique is a writer for Vivant, which is a magazine. And she gets called to um, do a story, even though she's like a rookie-ish writer, I guess, um, for Evelyn Hugo, who's a famous actress from the 50s and through the 80s, I think. Mm-hmm. Um And so, basically, she gets called there. She doesn't know why she's picked to do the story. And Evelyn Hugo says, I want you, I'm going to tell you everything about my life, all the secrets, and I want you to write my biography after I die. Um, So, it kind of goes into a little bit of Monique's story, like, in between, like, each day she's at Evelyn's, and then also, like, Evelyn is telling her entire life story throughout the novel. Yeah, at first I was kind of confused, like, because she doesn't say, like, who's talking. And Uh, I thought that was also an interesting choice. Like, she kind of just, like, weaves in and out, and then you just, like, know who it is based on, like, what's happening. Yeah, that's true. I did think that a couple times. I'm like, oh, Evelyn's telling her story again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so should we just get into the questions? Sure. Okay, so each husband section opens up, so yeah, each, like, section of the book is about one of Evelyn's husbands, and she kind of explains the story of, like, why they got married, and um, kind of the story of what happened. So each husband section opens with an illustrated monkey, for example, poor Ernie Diaz, goddamn Donna Adler, agreeable Robert Jameson. Discuss the meaning and significance of some of these descriptions. How do they set the tone for the section that follows? Ooh. Should we just go one by one? Oh, or, I'm sure. Or were there any that stood out to you? Well, I don't know. It's kind of obvious, I guess, once you read the story. Like, poor Annie Diaz was, like, she kind of, like, from the story, she kind of, like, used him. Right. And he kind of thought that he was getting, like, this attractive wife out of the deal. And really, she was just, she just used him to get to Hollywood and then was like, okay, bye. Right. And, like, agreeable Robert Jameson, like, he basically just agreed to marry her because Mm -hmm. his sister asked her to, asked him to, so. Yep. Yeah. And then, goddamn Don Adler, she, like, he was the worst so he was abusive Mm -hmm. yeah and cheated on her and and (laughs) um 
Although I feel like he got a little redemption in later chapters once he got sober, but not enough like to make me feel better about him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then Harry, <laughs> but we'll get to Harry. Yeah. Yes. We'll get to Harry. Um, of the seven husbands, who is your favorite and why? Who surprised you the most? Um, Harry. <laughs> I loved their relationship. Like, they were just truly best friends and wanted the best for each other, even though it was um, not a sexual relationship. Like, I don't know. It was just, like, a beautiful friendship. I agree. He was my favorite. He also was maybe the one who surprised me the most, just because, like, his story kept kind of changing and there was up and downs throughout the whole book. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, should we get to the underlying plot point? Yeah. Um, so Harry and um, Evelyn got married so that they could basically be beards because they were both in love with um, people of the same sex, which was definitely would ruin their image if they came out about that. So um, Harry was a producer in Hollywood, and then Evelyn was in love with Celia St. James, who was another famous actress in Hollywood, and she was married to John Braverman, who was a former football player, who was in love with Harry. So it was kind of the four of them just kind of being beards for each other. Um, and so it was just an interesting, an interesting time of how they navigated that relationship. Yeah, I, one of the things that I liked the most about this book is how it, like, wove the story into, like, actual things that were happening at the time, um, and, I mean, they didn't do a lot of that, but, but, but one of the parts that sticks out to me is when, um, they were living in New York at the time, and they were, the four of them, like, being beards together, and it was 1969 when the Stonewall riots happened, Mm-hmm. in Manhattan and how the four of them like felt like they needed to do something um and but they couldn't because like they couldn't like these these famous people would if they went down to like riot or march they would have drawn way too much attention um and it like just wouldn't have been the result they wanted um, and so that was when Evelyn kind of decided that, like, okay, well, I'm just going to stay in my lane and just give all my money to these causes mm-hmm. because that's what I can do. Yeah. I also think um, – I think that another unique aspect to the Harry-Evelyn relationship is that they did have a daughter, and they both, like, loved their daughter so much, obviously, and um, – I just, like, I don't know. I didn't know how it would work to, like, co-parent when they're both technically in other relationships. Like, not that that doesn't happen, but when it's a secret. I don't know. I thought that was kind of a a cool component of their relationship that they always put their daughter first. Yeah, and you can kind of see how it affects their relationships. Like, with Harry and John, it didn't really, I don't think, or, else they, or at least they didn't talk about it that much. Um, but But with Celia... And Evelyn, like, Celia was jealous. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that was, like, a big factor in, like, them breaking up. Yeah. So, they had to put their daughter first, but it wasn't always for the best. Right. Um, did you trust Evelyn to be a reliable narrator as you were reading? Why or why not? Did your opinion on this change at all by the conclusion? And if so, why? Um, do you want to explain the conclusion before we explain? Yes. Good call. <laughs> so the whole time you're reading, you're wondering, like, why Evelyn chose Monique as the writer for this story. Since, like we said, she was kind of a rookie working for this, like, random magazine. Um, and so why did she seek her out um to to write her book and like ultimately get all the money and everything that comes with publishing the book about this extremely famous and super private actress um 
And so then at the end, you find out that, um, so Harry um, and Evelyn and Celia were all going to move to Spain and basically just like hide out there, have a private life, um, raise their daughter um, and like all of them be together. But Harry decides that he can't because he is in love with someone Um and then you find, and then they get into a car accident because Harry was drinking and driving, and Harry dies in the car accident, and so does the person he was in love with, who was also in the car. And then at the end, you find out that the person he was in love with was Monique's dad, and so Monique, Monique's dad was devoted to Monique and her mother, but was also like either bisexual or um or I don't yeah something and he was also in love with Harry but was like no I need to stay with my wife and my child like this is where I belong I love you and like you need to go off and do your thing um and so you don't really know like what happened like if Harry like did it on purpose or if it was an accident or whatever but they end up dying in the car crash and so Monique um and then you find out that Evelyn left uh, Monique's dad there and like blamed it as his fault so Monique's dad ended up like being the one who um like got pinned with this like drinking and driving like killed himself type thing in a car and so Monique her whole life was always wondering like why did my dad do that like it was so out of character for him like I can't believe he was drinking and driving um and then it all comes full circle and Evelyn's like it wasn't your dad who was driving it was Harry driving and um Monique and like Evelyn is kind of doing this to like pay Monique back for all of her pain and um yeah that kind of sums it up right yeah yeah okay. I think um it was interesting because right before it was revealed that Evelyn was the one that switched it so her dad was in the driver's seat um to protect Harry in case like because Harry wasn't dead on scene he was brought to the mm-hmm. hospital and later passed mm-hmm. away um until then Monique's like well it's understandable that you'd want to protect someone you love until she realized that the person she was throwing under the bus was her own father mm-hmm. um so a super interesting dynamic. And I guess as far as like trusting Evelyn then, especially with that reveal, I feel like why would she lie about such like horrible things at this point, you know? Yeah, I think her whole point was like, I want to tell the whole truth because I don't want to be seen as this um as this like person that I have been like I want people to know the real me and why I did these things I did and just like I'm not a good person and here's my truth yeah and she also said something about how um like at the beginning of her life like all she was after was kind of the fame and the money and wanting more and more and now basically everyone she loved had passed away like her Celia passes Harry passes her daughter passes away of breast cancer and she's kind of left with no one and so she's like really the people were the best part of her life and now that they're not here like the rest of it doesn't matter kind of thing okay what role do the news tabloid and blog articles interspersed throughout the book serve in the narrative what if anything do we learn about Evelyn's relationship to the outside world from them I thought it was interesting how much, and I feel like just like in our more recent research of like trying to be anti-racist, I'm like getting less and less trusting in like news at face value. And Mm -hmm. I just like, this just like reaffirmed for me how easy it is to manipulate tabloids and the press by faking appearances or showing up with someone or even paying someone off to write leak a story that isn't true to kind of get people off of a trail um so I think 
I don't know. I thought that part of it was super interesting. Yeah, I I agree. And I also think that the like including the news articles was a way to advance the plot kind of in an easier way instead of having Evelyn explain exactly what happens. It kind of shows you like, okay, she got married and but then like it but then her narrating kind of explains like why and like the background of what happened after that that's true we didn't need to like hear the details of the wedding or anything like Mm -hmm. we just read the news article and then kind of jumped into like their actual marriage which was that's a good point it did it was an interesting way to advance the plot without it being like too um like run on with detail um okay how do you think Evelyn's understanding and where and awareness of sexuality were shaped by her relationship with Billy, the boy who works at the Five and Dime store? How does her sensibility evolve from this initial encounter? As she grows older, to what extent is Evelyn's attitude towards sex is influenced by those around her? Okay, I'm blanking on her relationship with Billy. Billy was the boy who worked at the Five and Dime store, and he, like... He basically, like, forced her to kiss him, and then she figured out that, like, basically if she, like, did stuff with him, that he would give her free candy and stuff from the store. That's right. I feel like... And that kind of starts her whole, like, basically using her body to get stuff from men. Yeah. Which I honestly don't feel like she regretted at all. Um... No, and she kind of says that she doesn't regret anything she did, really, except for, like, stuff having to do with Celia. Right, hurting um, Celia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. Part of me thinks that, um, I go back and forth, because she also did a movie that was, like, the first time showing, like, female pleasure in sex versus, like, um, like the male always like wanting the pleasure which I thought was kind of like very feminist of her of like kind of um, like owning her own sexuality um, but then like she always kind of felt that I feel like after she used her sexuality to get certain things not like she regretted it but she didn't like the one time I think she cried after she married someone for a ploy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think she enjoyed doing any of it, but it was kind of like a, well, this is what I have to do. Like, I think that was a lot of her choices were, were that was the reason behind them. Yeah. And I also feel like, she, so she grew up in, what did she call the area? Um, Hell's Kitchen. Yes, Hell's Kitchen. And so, like, she didn't have like she wasn't given or exposed to any tools to like better her life and so that Mm -hmm. was the first one presented to her is her sexuality um and so that's the one she clung to and used yep okay evelyn offers some firm words of wisdom throughout her recounting her life such as be wary of men with something to prove never let anyone make you feel ordinary and it is okay to grovel for something you really want what is your favorite piece of advice from Evelyn? Were there any assertions you strongly disagreed with? I'll let you answer first. Um, I, I mean, I think there were all like little nuggets of wisdom. I don't think that you can like apply them to your life at face value. Like you kind of just like take if some like if you identified with something or if something like spoke to you, then take it for what it is, but don't like you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um so I don't think any of it was bad advice. I just like um I think it's all good advice and is you just like have to apply it to what it means to you. Yeah. The um when you asked the question, the first thing that popped into my head about disagreeing, and not that I disagree, I just like it was a perspective I hadn't thought of before. And when she was talking about like the failing of a marriage, 
um, she said something about like, basically it's good to not stay in a loveless marriage. Like, I can't remember the exact quote. Don't stay in a marriage where you're like not in love, basically, just because Mm -hmm. you're afraid of failure. Like that's not a reason. And I thought that was an interesting perspective because, um, she was asked frequently about like being married seven times and like, she was just doing the best she could at the time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think if you interviewed any 80 something year old person and they recounted their life, they'd give you like similar little nuggets of advice. Yeah, that's true. And you just like, yeah, you just take it for how it applies to your own life. I was going to say, if you're 80 and don't have any advice, we probably have a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) You probably didn't learn a lot along the way. Mm -hmm. I think just, I don't know, just her whole life is kind of like, wow, I hope it's not still like this. And like, you don't like, I feel like I don't think it is like, we hope that there's not like still celebrities like trying to make, or like people from Hell's Kitchen neighborhood trying to like make it and using, um, using their bodies to like, but there probably is. And so, Right. You know what I'm saying? I feel like yeah. Not making sense. Well, and, and you're right because of like she, all she really wanted in life was to be with like the person she loved, but mm-hmm. that wasn't allowed. And she kept hoping that like gay marriage would be allowed someday. And it is mostly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about though, like her just getting out of her like home where she grew up and like not wanting to be with her abusive father anymore and just like and also like wanting to be famous and like having a dream and wanting to act Mm -hmm. like because that that was what her first goal was is just to get out and like I want to be famous I'm going to do whatever I want or whatever I can to like like she changed her whole appearance like that's a whole nother aspect of it um like kind of distance herself from her Cuban identity um just to make be famous and like make it in Hollywood right and then she kind of flips her story because she's like okay well I've realized that like really like love is all I want and I still can't have that and so then she kind of like changes her tune and wants to move to Spain and just like not be famous anymore right but she's in her 50s by the time that kind of realization I think sucks Mm -hmm. in yeah um okay if you could meet and interview with one celebrity at the end of their life who would it be and what would you ask them oh my gosh I don't know Probably Taylor Swift for sure, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like not that it'd be a similar story, but like Taylor Swift was like super famous and like in the limelight and dating all these boys and writing songs about people and you kind of knew who each song was about and everyone was like so invested in her love life and then now she's like silent, super private in relationship um like possibly married but no one knows for sure and I feel like she would have a lot of super interesting stories to tell interesting and like advice and lessons um speaking of Taylor Swift's side tangent so you did talk about her new album coming out since you've listened to it I'm assuming a quick thoughts <laughs> um I love it it's really different um because it's kind of like I don't know what people are calling it like she listed it as an alternative genre but it's kind of like indie like more like softer sounding but then there's a couple songs that are really like reminiscent of her old style there's one that's like getting released to country radio and um 
yeah just quick thoughts I love it it's great I've been listening to it nonstop. Okay. My favorite songs are Betty, The One, and Invisible String. Okay. Very cool. Um, I partially asked that because I was curious and partially because I was trying to stall and think of an answer. I feel like there's so many great people. Like, it's hard for me to pick. I feel like Betty White would have an interesting story because she's oh, been in yes. the industry forever. Mm-hmm. Um. Totally. I just I feel like there's so That's many good like one. powerful women that I would want to know like how they've seen like Hollywood change basically, um, yeah, or the better, or worse, or not at all. I guess. I think I would do Betty White, also Susan Lucci, but she's not. She's more like soap opera, less Hollywood. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I know who that is. All my children. <laughs> Yes, Erica Kane. <laughs> all my children. Also, she has like a whole bunch of like Pilates things and like a skincare line, and she's all over the Home Shopping Network. Love it. <laughs> um. Okay, so ten out of ten recommend the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Agreed. So good. Like, I feel like it deals with all sorts of, like, issues and stuff that we're still seeing happen today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it's a good read in that perspective, too. Like, kind of deals with, like, race and ethnicity and um, LGBTQ plus issues um, and all sorts of stuff. So Yeah, feminism. Yeah. 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 Love it. Yes. Um, okay, should we move on to our anti-racist resource that we consumed this month? Um, yes, let's do it. So we watched the 13th, it's just 13th, not the 13th, right, on Netflix? Yes, I keep saying the 13th. Right, it's, it's hard to say 13th without saying the for some reason, but it, it's 13th, um, on Netflix and it's all about kind of the different loopholes in the 13th amendment and how that's like things have kind of evolved into um, like how slavery kind of evolved into basically the huge, huge prison population problem we have in the U S today. Yeah. Um, Okay. Should I jump into some questions? Yes. Okay. Um, where does the title of the film come from? You just mentioned that. But what surprised you about the that amendment? Do you feel like you um, knew the details of the 13th Amendment going into the film? Um, I have to admit that and when it comes to, like, laws and amendments and, like, all that kind of stuff, I, like, really should pay more attention and, like, know more things off the top of my head. And obviously, like, educating myself and, like, paying attention to what's going on right now. Um, but admittedly, I couldn't have, like, told you what the 13th Amendment was before this movie. <laughs> Um, I'm in the same boat, and honestly, like, the 13th Amendment, I didn't know the fine print um, that they kept pointing out about basically slavery is abolished except if you commit a crime. Um, Like, I think I knew that subconsciously probably, but, like, um, I don't think that, like, when you think of the abolishing of slavery, that's not part of what you think about or what Mm. I thought about I guess right and I think that's because in school we're taught that like Abraham Lincoln saved all the slaves and then it was fine now we're great right the white savior and it's like nope that is not true and here's the real story yeah and here's how all of that leads up to everything we're experiencing today right um, okay, this film is full of statistics, many of them startling. Which statistics stood out to you the most? Why do you think this is? 
um well all of the um I like how they did like the timeline of like kind of every five years they showed what happened to the prison population mm-hmm. and um it like shoots up like 20 in like the last like five years like 2015 to 2020 it like or it was like maybe 2010 to 2014 or something like something in like the 2010 and on it like shoots way up the prison population and that was just like like just watching it like the numbers advance on the screen it's just like oh my gosh what's it gonna be right and it like doubles um and then I think the other one is that like one in three black men are likely to be in prison at some point in their life. Yes, I wrote that one down too. Like, that's insane. Like, I was trying to think, how many people do you know that have been to jail or prison? Are we counting just, like, you were arrested and went to jail? Or, I think, like, I think, you, were, you were, like, convicted and went to jail? Um, I think they said... Well, they said one in three end up in jail or prison. I don't know if that meant convicted or not. Okay. I guess arrested. Maybe, like, a handful. That's what I was thinking, too, of, like, all the white people we know, which just, like, comes to show that, like, how skewed the statistics are. Oh, you were saying, like, white, just white people that we know? Um, Yes. Um, well, yeah, same answer, I guess. (laughs) Um, but um, I think the other one is that I can't remember what the exact numbers are, and I um, but it's like how the world compared to like the world's prison population, the world like the U.S. is only on what is like. Oh my god, I can't speak. The U.S. is only like three percent of the world's population. Does that sound right? I think it's six percent of the world's six. population, but twenty-five percent of the prison. Yes, there you go. Thank you. Um, that is just like mind blowing. I know, like, it's so skewed. And then, like, learning about the laws and the history and stuff. It's like okay obviously this is why and obviously this is wrong like the imprisonment yeah yeah um another statistic i wrote down is that 97 percent of people take a plea bargain instead of going to trial because they don't want to risk uh conviction that gives them like a life sentence or something because of the minimums which is kind of insane because people are almost forced to give up their right to even if they're innocent because the risk of a minimum sentence is too great right and like people who get arrested and maybe not even didn't even commit the crime which is a lot of the time um or some of the time I don't I don't know and they are like yeah forced to take a plea bargain because they don't want to actually have to serve time um or like um and then they give up their right to vote when they didn't even commit the crime mm-hmm. and their right to government help aid mm-hmm. um and different things which I think just adds to the repeat offenders because if you don't have any like footing to stand on to like start to rebuild the life after a prison conviction, then what's to stop you from like what other options do you have? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, who do you think is the intended audience of the film? I think everyone in America, people who don't think about this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, basically anyone who doesn't know the information. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I was thinking about that question and I was like, was it geared towards white people or was it geared towards everyone? Um, but I think it had so much information that it was kind of geared towards everyone. Yeah, and they even mentioned like how um, how some of these laws and like the propaganda and stuff that was going on even turned like people in black communities against their own children because they were like painting them as thugs and um, like beasts and like all those different words that they used um, and like like turning themselves against their own like turning themselves against their own selves um and it's like a weird like psychological thing and i think and that's like internalized racism and just like there's like internalized homophobia and stuff yeah so i'm rereading how to be an anti-racist for a work book club and um something i just reread was the real black on black crime is internalized racism Mm-hmm. Which is exactly that. It's it's believing the fake news that's being told. Um, the other thing, when you talked about, like, the beast, like, I, like, was sick to my stomach seeing those clips of, like, Birth of a Nation and stuff. Like. Oh, my gosh. I yes. I just, like, I don't know. It, it's definitely my privilege to not ha- have to, like, think about, like these like depictions like to not even know about birth of a nation before watching Mm -hmm. this like that's privilege but I just like I don't know it still boggles my mind that that was ever a thing like I don't know it just made me sick to my stomach well yeah it does make us sick to our stomach and other like other clips that throughout the whole thing makes us sick to our stomach but then um at the end um, I think it was Brian Stevenson who is the lawyer um, who like worked to get um, so many black men off death row from just mercy. Yeah. It's yep. The book, book slash movie. Um, so at the end, he says, "How could people have done this? If I was living, I would have like never tolerated it. The truth is, um, we are tolerated." Right. He said, "The truth is, we are living." If we're living at this time, we are tolerating it. Right. It just it looks a little different. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to what we've talked about before is um, like the movies that we watch, like The Help and stuff where they're like, oh, well, like segregation doesn't exist anymore. Like, we no, we're not racist. Typically, things like the war on drugs and being tough on crime are seen as positive aspects of society. However, this film turns that on its head. What does the film say that these programs actually do to minorities? Something that stood out to me a lot about this was um, I didn't understand this. And I had commented on the war on drugs previously when we talked about how to be an anti-racist because I have a a family member who was arrested for drug trafficking and was sentenced to life in prison because of the um, uh, minimum sentencing. However, mm-hmm. um, the difference, I didn't understand the nuance between the crack and the powder cocaine and how um, basically crack was the cheaper form of the drug and that was given harsher penalties in an attempt to target black people or the poorer population um and i don't think i understood that nuance right that was such a weird thing like i didn't even know the difference between crack and cocaine (laughs) um and uh, yeah how they were saying like cocaine is like the elegant form and then like crack was like the cheaper yeah no that's such a good point um and and yeah so the, those harsher sentencings are like like the example they showed like a news clip or something and it was like this woman who sentenced life in prison and like her only like only offense like no other nothing else on her record was just like um like transporting 
drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of goes, I, I mean, you just, like, who knows, like, what happened in her life that led up to that, you know? Right. Um, it is interesting because I do find myself um, still fighting, I guess, that, like, um, perspective that, yeah, if people commit crimes, like, like, violent crimes, I want there to be, like, action taken. However, mm-hmm. this is, like, a blanket to, I guess, almost trap people into um, being imprisoned, which it's it's just such a weird not something I thought about growing up you know like I was ever exposed to um because like commit a crime you serve the time like that's and it's still like I still find myself having to like think through things more um I don't know I'm not explaining this very well well there's just so many like little rules and laws and details and I think that's what that that's what this documentary is explaining like it's not that simple like law and order we want law and order like we want to lock up our criminals like that is like language that gets people to feel emotions and say like oh like I want to be safe like um yeah law and order lock up our criminals but it's not that simple. Right. The, yeah, that's a good point. They talked about, like, the fear. Mm-hmm. Like, and I also think it's interesting that they, the minimum sentencing took away any judgment that a judge would have, which is, like, the purpose of a judge. Right. Totally. Like, the judge had to sentence them to this sentence. They had right. no choice. Right. Exactly. Um, and as a judge, like, I just feel like... I would feel horrible. Right. Like, you don't, like, you're after justice, but you don't have a choice if that's what the law is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. Um, something else I thought was interesting, and one of the questions here is, how do economics influence prison rates in the United States, both historically and in modern times? I didn't realize how privatized a lot of prisons are. I didn't either. I had that down as a note to talk about. Because, yeah, I had no idea that. And then, like, the whole Alec thing. I had never heard of Alec, which is probably super ignorant. But OMG. And then the guy who, like, so Alec is, like, this organization, I guess, that was made up of politicians and large corporations um, that basically, like, write laws um, or bills and, like, give them to politicians to propose and, like, these bills and laws are, their only goal is to, like, benefit these corporations. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, Walmart and, like, Walmart, like, wanting to increase their gun sales and, like, writing laws about, like, writing gun laws. Yeah, so they were big on helping Florida get the standard ground law passed. Mm-hmm. Um because it increased gun sales. But they eventually left Alec. Yeah. Because they got critical. Yeah. Once it, like, came out that, like, who was all a part of Alec, like, they kind of started dropping, like, flies. Right. I mean, they're still... But it still exists. Yeah. Um, I feel like I need to do more research on Alec and, like, the history of it. Because that was just, like... I don't know. Just like when you think you can't get more corrupt, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, uh, what does the film say about the Black Lives Matter movement? What surprised you about this? Um, so at the end, they talk about um, how Black Lives Matter is really just about, like, whose life do we recognize as valuable? Um, and kind of like through these laws and like keep us safe in law and order like they're really all about protecting white people mainly white males mm-hmm. um and so it's like okay who's well whose life do we rec- recognize as valuable 
not anyone other than white people. Yeah. I wrote down the opposite of criminalization is humanization, which is kind of what yep. the Black Lives Matter movement is trying to do. Um, yeah, change change the way the country understands human dignity. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The other thing, I kind of felt hopeful thinking about it because um, they made the point like Black Lives Matter isn't, it's a movement. It's not like they have an address that so you can shut them down. Like, right. And I was like, that's kind of hopeful because it's like almost hopeful, maybe too big to fail. Like, <sighs> right. And that's what annoys me when people are like, well, I support the premise of Black Lives Matter, but not where the donations are going to. And it's like, you can't, it's, it's not like a place, like it's a movement. It's not a, like, you know, like, yeah, they have a website and like an Instagram page or whatever, but it's like way bigger than that. Right. And if you don't want to donate to the actual whoever has incorporated that Mm -hmm. like there are so many like black owned organizations or um human rights organizations that are doing great things to get people out of prison or um get i just like make things more fair and that you could donate to so like yeah that's not a good argument no yeah um yeah, like you said, there's so many different organizations, like, like within Black Lives Matter, there's so many, like, different facets of, like, problems that you could help with or donate to, and you kind of just, like, pick, like, pick ones that speak to you or you're passionate about, and, um, like, the Loveland Foundation is, like, therapy for Black women, or, um, like, Campaign Zero is, like, police reform, you just kind of have to pick do your research and pick what you're passionate about and right. go after it. Exactly. Um, those are all the questions I had. Did you have any other notes you were hoping we'd touch on? Um, the only other thing, like speaking of police brutality, that I thought was interesting is that I feel like a lot of what, what like the news and like what, what's been focused on since George Floyd is um, uh, police brutality and like police reform um, and I think that the like you mean that this documentary definitely talked about that but at the end they make the point that it's not like the police officers that are the problem it's like the system and like all these laws and all these things that have been put in place that authorize police brutality and like make it okay for them to do this right that's a good point because um while there could be some reform within the police system you're right it's it's so much bigger than that that it needs to almost start higher than that yeah and so I'm I'm that made me wonder like okay well is police reform the place to start or like do we need to dig deeper like police reform is that just putting a band-aid on the problem right i'm gonna have to do some more research Mm -hmm. um overall i we like didn't even touch on half of the moving stories and arguments and statistics and it is hard to watch but i would recommend that everyone watch it to get informed yeah I think I think if you're not gonna read any like books or anything like this is just like one like hour and 40 minutes you can do to like really learn like a little bit about everything that's going on um and like people's past stories and like who's been working to change this and what's what's happened and what's happening now I think I think it's a good place to start or just at least do something yeah especially like you said if you're not going to read um there was a question in the list but I didn't ask it about like how do you how do you think the film did a good job at keeping you engaged I feel like it was produced really well with um the music and the um 
font and it was just put together really well to keep you engaged I think yeah I really I really liked how they used the music um and how like if you listen to lyrics of these songs it's talking about like the problems in these communities and like people have experienced in their families because of because of all these laws and and like corruption and stuff um and then yeah like you said the the timeline of how they do it and how they show like the prison population and how it's increased over like five years and five more years and five more years and you just um it's just like it's really eye-opening agreed um okay do we want to go watch it yes (laughs) okay so our next book club pick is going to be drum roll (laughs) um the truths we hold an american journey by kamala harris yes so vice presidential nominee officially kamala Kamala harris yep okay kamala um okay so just everyone knows kamala and um and then our next anti-racist resource will be the the 30-day workshop by Rachel Cargill and we can link that in the resources but basically you sign up with your email um, and then it's like a 30-day little mini um, kind of reading slash workshop um, anti-racist um, doing the work it's called do the work by Rachel Cargill and we will discuss it in our next book club episode yes so um check those out thanks everybody for listening to this episode of floral couch conversations you can find us on social media instagram facebook at floral couch conversations and if you have any questions or want to reach out to us floral couch conversations at gmail.com and if you're liking what you're hearing please tell everyone you know and leave us five stars thanks everyone bye